Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Picking Up Rubber. I am your host, Justin Russo, and what are we doing here? Why does this podcast exist? Well, essentially, I am a huge fan of Formula One, and I love talking about it, and I haven't had an outlet to really do so online and to an audience really yet, so I figured what better way to start that than start a podcast here. So here we are with Picking Up Rubber, episode one, just after the Monaco Grand Prix, a a day or two out here now. And basically just going to go recap that race as we move into race eight of the Formula One calendar, Baku in a couple of weeks, looking forward to that. But let's look back on Monaco and the storylines and all the talking points that came out of that and see what we can take away from it as we move along in the season. So let's just jump right into it. Qualifying. It was a hectic qualifying as it usually is in Monaco. That's the part of the weekend you want to watch. That's the best qualifying of the year on Saturday. And Charles Leclerc finally finally looked set to be able to break the Monaco curse, and he gets pole position ahead of his teammate Carlos Sainz Jr. and Sergio Perez with Max Verstappen rounding out that top four of the Red Bull-Ferrari duo in fourth place, and it looked really good for Charles coming in. There there was really no reason, even with the rain, even with the rain, you're thinking, okay, all he has to do is really stay ahead, and if he can stay ahead everyone's got to deal with the rain. It's going to be tricky for everybody. If he can just kind of manage the race, it can come to him and he can end up winning. But man, that is just not how things unfolded. First of all, the rain delayed the race by just about an hour. So everyone just sitting and waiting. I thought they could have went out on wet tires. You heard Crofty and Martin Brundle on the broadcast kind of alluding to the same thing saying, hey, let's just get this race started. They have the wet tires for a reason. Why don't you go out on them? But the race control and the race director make the decision not to do so. Delaying the race an hour, and so we're just sitting there waiting, waiting. All the drivers as well, just waiting and wondering when the race is going to begin. And finally, we get going. Everyone comes out on the wet tires. The track is even starting to dry out a little bit, but because of the red flag and they have to start uh, under the safety car, that they had to come out on the wet tires. So everyone's out on the wets. Race start, rolling start, as expected. Things kind of staying in order. Nothing major happens. And then you see a couple guys go on intermediates. Pierre Gasly goes on intermediates really early and starts flying through the field, jumps up several spots. And you get to that changeover spot where some guys are coming in for inters. And then you hear Carlos signs on the radio to his race engineer saying, hey, you know what? We're trying to extend this. I know we should probably just wait and go on to slicks. And it turned out to be the right call for Carlos signs because he saw that, you know, yeah, we could go on to the intermediate tire, and, and that is going to be the fastest tire for a little bit, but, you know, we gotta we got to stay out and, and see if we can just get right on the slick tire, save ourselves a pit stop. So that was really the key decision for the drivers and the race engineers as the race went on, was trying to figure out that crossover period, as it always is with wet races, but trying to figure out that crossover period, and is it going to dry fast enough? Is a dry line going to form fast enough so we can go right on to slick? So, the pit stops were just incredibly hectic. You have first Sergio Perez coming in for inters, then you have Verstappen coming in, and then you just have the two Ferraris kind of waiting there. And eventually Charles Leclerc comes in after to cover off Verstappen and Perez. He gets the inters. Carlos Sainz still out front, just waiting it out, waiting it out, trying to see if he can finally get onto those slick tires. And when he comes in for his slick tires, Ferrari makes the biggest blunder of the weekend and potentially of the year in terms of their strategy. They bring Charles Leclerc back in to put him onto the slicks, giving him, giving them a double, double pit stop. Essentially they're stacking the two 
really messes up the strategy for the clerk. And not only does he come out obviously behind signs now, now that he's had to make the extra pit stop, but he comes out behind Perez and behind Max Verstappen. And Perez is suddenly thrust into the lead because Ferrari just haven't gotten it all right. And even though I mentioned it was kind of the right call for signs to go right onto those hard tires with the way that the pit stops had unfolded, Red Bull's strategy was extremely, extremely on point. They went onto the Inters first and then eventually moved on to the slicks. Perez came in much earlier than a lot of the other drivers did and was able to make those Inters work and put in some good laps on them before he finally ended up going onto the slick tires. And man, Red Bull just pulling a blinder on Ferrari, as was mentioned during the broadcast a lot, just completely out of nowhere. I mean, the only place to essentially pass in Monaco unless you have a significant speed advantage is those pit stops and it's not normally or not normal that you see somebody get past and lose three positions like Leclerc did I mean it's just incredible how much they bluff that strategy I mean you have to feel so bad for Charles just because this was supposed to be the one this was the one you know last year on pole position everyone thought oh that's the year but even into the Saturday night going into the Sunday morning, there were reservations about that gearbox, which unfortunately turned out to be true as he wasn't able to start the race. But this year, it, it really felt different. It felt like he had the car under him. Everything was going right. And, and as I mentioned, even with the rain coming, we knew the rain was coming. It, it just still felt like he was going to be able to manage it and he was going to be able to win this race. And to Charles's credit, he didn't do anything wrong. He raced a great race. He even at the end, the great battle at the end between all four of the drivers kind of sticking with each other, trying to just do anything they could to win the race. And huge credit to Perez for keeping signs behind as those medium tires were going out. But Charles did an amazing race. You can't really blame him for anything that happened. And Ferrari knows that they've messed this one up. They've they've really cost if not one, both of their drivers, the win. And uh, it was just a real shame to see for Charles because it just, that home curse, it really, you could tell, is, is weighing on him. And it was nice for him to finish the race. He had never finished a single race in Monaco in any level of motorsport, so that was good to see. But, man, uh, missed opportunity for Charles there. And, and you knew as the race was happening, you just felt so bad for him because, he has to come in and double stack behind Sainz. So immediately when he comes in, he knows, what has my team done? I'm already behind my teammate. I was ahead of him before these pit stop sequences, and now I'm behind. And then the double and triple whammy, I guess, if you can call it, coming out behind both of the Red Bulls, just ugh, just, just heartbreaking for Charles. And hopefully he gets another shot. A little bit of concern about Monaco staying on the calendar. We'll talk about that in just a bit after we kind of go over this race. But... Man, you have to feel for him. Um, but switching things over, how about Checo, man? I mean, just an amazing win by him. The strategy, of course, helped immensely. He would have not been even close to first without that strategy, but huge credit to him because after that second red flag for mixed crash, the Red Bull, both Red Bulls decided to go on to medium tires. And you know, at the time, you're thinking, well, if the race is going to be short and we're not going to have a lot of time. We're not we're going to have time to race the entire rest of the laps, which they're about 12 or 13 short by the end. I can understand that, you know, put them on the mediums, see if they can last, you know, long. You're going to get that strong performance early. Maybe you can build a little bit of a gap, which did happen, but you could just tell by the end that those last five to 10 laps, those tires started to wear. Signs was on his gearbox the entire rest of the race for the last about 10 laps or so. 
and it got incredibly, incredibly interesting. And you can even see Perez starting to hold up signs and the rest of the crew by the fact that Verstappen and Leclerc got into the battle too. They were right there. You know, the cars were a little bit spread out, but Perez was just, he just had nothing left on those mediums. And you could tell it just bunched everyone up. It, it made the ending so much more interesting, even though we know inside in the back of our heads that, man, it's it's really hard to pass here at Monaco and it, it's probably not going to happen. But it was just still a thrilling ending and so happy for Checo. You know, you go from last week in Barcelona where really early in the season, they had no reason to kind of have him let Max buy. And I understand Horner, Christian Horner, uh, Red Bull's team boss, you know, saying essentially, look, they're on different strategies. Checo, you know, we knew was going to be slower at the end of the race, given the tire difference and the strategy difference. But it seemed to me that Max in Barcelona caught him much faster and than a lot of people anticipated. And, you know, who knows what team orders are at play there. But it was just all too easy for Max to go right by and win. And I think Checo was right in his frustration that, you know, hey, this is an early season race. I'm not that far behind in the championship. You know, I'm right there too. And, you know, why are you giving Max the win? And you can totally understand that from Checo's point of view. And you also look at, at Jeddah. If he would have won that race in Jeddah, which he very well could have without the Nicholas Latifi-induced red flag, then he's essentially, or he is in the lead of the championship. So he's not out of this by any means. He is really coming to his own in the Red Bull Last year, you could tell at the beginning of the year, he was struggling on pure pace over one lap. Kind of started the second half of last year, and now this year especially, getting on top of that one lap pace and qualifying, and he has been solid in the race most weekends, even dating back to last year. So really great to see for Checo. Awesome win for him. Third win in Formula One, second with Red Bull after Baku last year with Red Bull, and then 2020 in Sakir with Racing Point, coming from last to first. Another amazing victory for Checo. But he is really throwing a wrench into this title fight because he is right there with Clerk and Verstappen, and it's going to be it's going to be hard for Red Bull to sit down and and do what they did last year in terms of saying, hey, you know, Max Verstappen's our guy, Checo, you need to play wingman because Checo's right there, and he has every right to say right back to them, this is my championship to fight for too, and I, you know, and I hope he does, and I hope he does stay in that fight just to make it more interesting because you figure. The Ferraris aren't going anywhere. Mercedes still kind of lingering in the back. We'll talk about them in a minute, too. But it would just be nice to have another element in there. You know, we, for the past few years, we've had Bottas in Mercedes kind of challenging Hamilton. But it always fades off. You know, it always, you know, he'll, he'll hang around for the first half of the year and maybe even by the summer break. And then it just it just fades off to the point where it's Lewis's championship for the last several races. And kind of it doesn't make things you know that interesting I and mean, that's what we want is interest we want what we had last year with Verstappen and Hamilton going down to the wire so the more the merrier in terms of the championship fight great for Perez and there was a, a moment in the kind of cool down area as he and Christian Horner were walking up to the podium where he what appeared to to be caught on the audio was that he was telling Christian Horner hey you know I, maybe I signed a little too early so could be a nod at a contract extension for Perez, and he, he kind of tried to play it off in the post-race media pen, but maybe a little unsuccessfully. So look for that coming as the silly season is already getting closer and closer here in F1. Where a lot of futures are up for grabs. Some seats might be shifting positions, some drivers in and out. So good for Checo, though, if he does indeed get that extension. He, it is well-deserved, really, night and day between him and those other 
Red Bull second drivers and you know Albon and Gasly and, and everyone they've put in that seat that just haven't been able to perform. And it, it's excellent to see because ever since Ricardo left, they have been struggling to find a wingman for Verstappen, and they finally have it now. They finally have two drivers that can help them in both championships. And it's just uh, it's great to see. So super happy for Checo with his third win, and now he gets to go to Baku and, and defend his 2021 Azerbaijan victory. So that is going to be really interesting to see the uh, the battle between him and Max there and the rest of the group. And, uh, yeah, really looking forward to that one. Then moving on past the top four now, past the Red Bulls and Ferraris, let's look at the drivers that finished fifth and sixth. George Russell in fifth, Lando Norris in sixth, and... What more can you say about both of these drivers? We'll start with George Russell. Mr. Consistency, it's been the story of the season. Top five in every single race this season. A couple podiums to his name. It is really incredible given where Mercedes have looked at times and how poor they have been on pace. How George Russell continues to put that car in the top five. And there were reservations when the move was made. You know, all the talk about, you know, yeah, Bottas might not be the best driver that they could get in the seat, but it's harmonious at Mercedes. Why do you change after eight years? You've won the Constructors' Championship. He does enough to get you the championship, and you still have your main driver in Lewis Hamilton who's going to go out there and win the Drivers' Championship and just take it by force. Well, now you have George Russell, and people are, you know, are considering, oh, well, how is he going to perform in the Mercedes? You know, Williams, it's, it's a different beast down there. You know, was he just beating up on a bad teammate in... What first year turned out to be Robert Kubica and then Nicholas Atifi the past two, but no, not at all. I mean, George Russell is has been incredible for Mercedes. The guy just shows up every single week. I mean, even you look at Imola too, with Lewis Hamilton struggling out of the points and ended up finishing tenth. George Russell's still in the top five, just consistently outperforming Lewis Hamilton. And ironically, Kind of what Lewis Hamilton did to Fernando Alonso. Maybe not to the same degree, but in 2007, when Lewis gets into Formula One, just consistently putting in solid performances. And if there isn't some, you know, infighting with the team, but could potentially have won the championship in his first year. So Russell just really having an excellent year, confirming the decision made by Total Wolf and Mercedes to put him in that seat. And you hope that they can figure out their issues. It seems like they're more so on top of their porpoising now, and he's got to figure out some of the other stuff with that car. And, you know, the, the straight-line speed, we saw Lewis Hamilton was actually top of the speed trap in Barcelona. So if they can get the straight-line speed that they were lacking earlier in the season, reduce, reduce the drag. We already know they have those zero-concept side pods that should reduce drag and make them faster down the straightaways. It's going to be really interesting to see if they can hop into the fight. And Russell has done a great job of just kind of picking up whatever he can. You know, he's picking up the scraps. He's doing whatever he can. And he is hanging around you know he's hanging around in this title fight and should Mercedes put to give him a car and put together a car that is worthy of race wins week in and week out he's going to be right there he has 84 points right now a point ahead of Carlos Sainz might I add and obviously Carlos has had his own issues but in a much better car Carlos Sainz a point behind George Russell in the championship who currently sits fourth with uh, Max Verstappen at 125 so still a little ways behind but it's a long, long season. And I think George Russell could could really make some noise if Mercedes themselves can make some noise there coming down to the end of the season. And then, again, sixth place, Lando Norris. I mean, <laughs> what do you say about this guy? I mean, just continues, again, kind of just like George, just picking up the pieces wherever he can. You, know, you look at Bahrain, not in the points. 
after the terrible first weekend by McLaren, but after that, I mean, finishes seventh, finishes fifth, gets the podium in uh, in Imola, gets has the crash with Pierre Gasly in Miami, not great there, but then eighth and then sixth here in Monaco, just really doing the best that he can. Seventh in the world championship in what is <laughs> the fourth or fifth best car in, in you know Formula One right now. So 48 points, only two behind Lewis Hamilton, eight ahead of Valtteri Bottas, who's right behind him. He has just been excellent this year, and he has been excellent the past few years for McLaren. He has really emerged into one of those guys that if you give him the right machinery, he is going to go out there, and, and he could definitely challenge for race wins. I think it's kind of a the same situation with Russell. You know, Both the guys right now don't have the best car. They have comp, you know, competent cars. Not the best, but you put them in the right machinery, and those guys are competing for championships. And, of course, Formula 1, you need – the right car. You need a good car. It, it, it is so much about what the team gives you. And if the team gives them something to compete, they are definitely going to do it. And we saw it with Lando before nearly winning the Russian Grand Prix last year before some inclement weather. Second place in Monza behind Ricardo last year. And yeah, I mean, what more can you say? These two Brits, man, they are, they are for all we say about the British bias in Formula One, the British media loving some guys and not loving certain others. They deserve it. They deserve all the praise. Norris and Russell have been excellent this year, and they are just showing why they are the future and, <laughs> frankly, the present of Formula One with the way that uh, they, they are on the come up. So we go from Norris and Russell, and, and let's shift it a little bit to Mercedes. How much longer are they going to stay down there and not fight with these Ferraris and Red Bulls. You have to think. I mean, they've, it's been slowly building. It seems like, you know, they've had some tough races, but every week they get a little better. You know, um, even in, in Imola, where Lewis was down in the dumps and, and George, you know, kind of struggled and, and just picked up whatever points he could. He still finished fifth uh, because of Charles's incident. You know, they still have some issues but they're they're working through them they've gotten the porpoising down to a minimum they now if they can get on top of that straight line speed and we're going to see if they can really make use of that engine and, and improve that engine to get the straight line speed that they need because we're going to the longest straightaway in formula one next next race in, in azerbaijan and if their engine is lacking at all, they are going to be sitting ducks on that straightaway. But they look pretty fast in Barcelona. You saw the way Lewis came through the field after the first lap instant with Magnussen. And I think they could be a real threat. You know, I think even this weekend or this next race in Azerbaijan, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe they're up there. Maybe not fighting for the race win, but third, fourth, fifth, kind of that range. If the engine is what we think it could be. So it's going to be really interesting to see how quickly they continue to develop because that can really throw the biggest wrench into this title fight. Yeah, we're seven races in, but if I'd have told you that Max Verstappen and Red Bull would be leading the world championship after the terrible first race that they had in Bahrain, you would have laughed in my face. Here we are, George Russell fourth on 84 points, Lewis Hamilton 50 points down at sixth. The team overall in third place in the constructors with 134, 101 points behind Red Bull. It's a large margin. Yeah, it's a big margin, but we've got a lot of racing to go. And it's going to be real exciting to see if Mercedes can get in to that championship fight. And that was the dream, right? That was the dream with these new regulations is 
let's have more than one or maybe two teams that can fight for a championship. We want to have every week, you know, three, four teams battling for race wins and, and just kind of being on the edge of your seat. Similar to what we see in other motorsports, in IndyCar, in NASCAR, where anyone can win on any given week. And it's really, and of course you don't want to go to a spec series like IndyCar, but the drivers matter a lot more. And if we can at least get to a point where we're equal, a little more equal in Formula One, doesn't have to be the same cars. I, I don't want a spec series. I don't think a lot of people want that. You want to see the ways that these teams come up with solutions to problems with downforce and grip and just trying to make the cars work. You want to see that ingenuity, that engineering prowess that these teams have. That's what makes it fun. But we want more teams in the fight. And if we can get more teams, that's great. If we can get Mercedes up there fighting consistently like they have been for eight years, you know, if any team's going to figure it out, it's going to be them. They've, they've had eight consecutive years of dominance. They know exactly how to do this. They're not new to this. If they can figure it out, it's going to make for a much more fun season. Uh, I don't think that's any hot take right there, obviously, but going to be real fun to see how they go out in Baku. That long straight is going to be really telling. I mean, that you cannot hide on that straight. Even we saw last year, Lewis Hamilton overtook Charles Leclerc, uh, lap two, I believe. No DRS, just just straight up power because the straight's so long. Uh, obviously, the, the different cars last year, the slipstream was a little more effective, and you know the engine deficit was probably larger than it's going to be for any teams this year. But still, just incredible to see. Uh, how good Mercedes can be. I'm really interested to see, and we'll, we'll find that out very shortly. And speaking of uh, Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton uh, got a really, really nice look at Fernando Alonso's <laughs> rear of the car during this race here in Monaco this past weekend. Man, Alonso doing what he needed to do to save the tires, he says. Um, can't tell me that there might be just a little more personal stuff with Alonso when it comes to holding up Lewis Hamilton. We know... As I mentioned, that 2007 season and the you know the iffy team team mechanics, you know the the, the chemistry back then with those two, and of course you go to back to last year in Hungary where Alonso defending like a lion to let his teammate Esteban Ocon win that race. So yeah, Alonso just said he was holding up for about 15 laps and then really unleashed the pace for the last 15 laps once he knew Ocon had the penalty and. Uh, and had to get the extra pace to, to move five seconds ahead of the guys behind. But, man, that really separated the pack. I mean, I, I saw a graphic of the, you know, the, the track, the track map, essentially, where the drivers were, and it's, it was just hilarious looking at the top four kind of strolling around, you know, Norris and, and Russell kind of a little bit behind them, and then half the track back is just Alonzo and this train of cars behind him because he is holding up everybody trying to preserve his tires. And that's just how it goes at Monaco sometimes. You know, that happened with Lewis last year, too. How long was he behind Pierre Gasly last year at Monaco? Just round and around and around, trying to find a way around, and, and just nothing he could do. Uh, that's that's part of the nature of the circuit. It's We know it's a Saturday track. It's not really a Sunday track. The rain definitely helped that. And the strategy blunders for Ferrari definitely made it a lot more interesting. But that's just, that's just how it goes at Monaco. And it's unfortunate for Lewis, but... Was he really going to get many more points? Probably not. Could have gotten past Alonso, maybe Norris, but uh, even you know, even then, I'm I'm not so sure. And then speaking of again, Akon and Lewis, the incident that caused Akon to have that five second penalty. Akon has 
remained pretty steadfast in the fact that he thinks that that was a racing incident. That wasn't really his fault. It was a bad penalty, but I'm sorry, Esteban. You go back and you look at that one, and he kind of just runs Lewis into the wall there. Lewis had no space, took off the left part or a little bit of the left part of Lewis's front wing. That was all on Esteban. I mean, nothing Lewis could have done there. He's trying to look up the move into Sandovat, but Akon just gives him nothing. And, you know, you're... You obviously, you know, you want to defend, but Lewis was there. He was there enough to the to the point where Akon made a dangerous move, especially under breaking, too, coming into the corner, breaking, and then pushing him into the barrier. So, bad one on Akon there. And, um, yeah, I think that well-deserved penalty, sadly, and it knocked him out of the points, but I think it was, uh, it was the right call by the stewards there. So, moving on from kind of the general race of Monaco, we got to talk about some of these drivers that have been struggling to get on top of things. And there's two true drivers and, and one team in general that I want to talk about. First of all, Daniel Ricardo. Man, I mean, look, you're not going to find a, a bigger Daniel Ricardo fan than I am. I love the guy. He, he's my favorite driver. But I can't sit here and tell you that he is not struggling terribly right now. I mean... Of course, I want him to do well. He's my he's my guy, and I think a lot of Americans, because of Drive to Survive, would tell you that you know he's a popular guy, and, and obviously the, he has a lot of new fans from that series. But man, how much longer can we go with him not being on top of this car? I mean, this was the story last year when he got lapped in Monaco by Lando. It was uh, you know he's just trying to get on top of the car, trying to get on top of the car. You know he, he just couldn't put anything together, and then Monza comes wins the race, he's on top of the world, had an even good result in Russia, you know, put together some nice results there at the end of the year to at least, you know, give some momentum coming into 2022, but it has just been a disaster from day one, from miss, from getting COVID and missing part of testing and just the poor results all the way through the calendar. I mean, I am really not sure whether he maintains that seat for next year and obviously the storylines this week have been Zach Brown talking about the mechanisms in the contract and you know he did kind of point to saying you know it's you know whatever Daniel wants to do and that was an interesting point for me because obviously they have faith in him to put things together they they didn't sign him to be a second guy to Lando they signed him to compete with Lando to beat Lando to win races and he's done that for them but they need him to be there every week. They they can't have this deficit in points. You know, looking at the standings right now, Lando, 48 points. Daniel, 11. 11 points. Only two races where he scored points. Australia uh, being one of those. And, man, I, I don't know what more can be said about him. Um He's just got to perform. I mean, it's simple as that. He's got to figure something out. He can't keep trundling around, finishing five spots behind Lando every week and being two, three-tenths off the pace in qualifying. As much as he is a marketing tool for McLaren, and I think I wonder if this plays a factor with the popularity in the U.S., and maybe this is just American bias, thinking we're more important. And, uh, you know, we actually are here, uh, coming from an American, but the potential business impact that he has in terms of merchandise sales and views and all this stuff being the most popular driver in America. I wonder how much that has an impact on Zach Brown's decision. Obviously should be nowhere near 
the impact that his driving has on the decision. So not even thinking about that, but I wonder if that, you know, impacts it a little bit, uh, but we'll see. And then again, going back to the point about, you know, what Daniel wants to do. And the reason he left Red Bull in the first place was because he could see that Max Verstappen was the number one driver and he was going to get stuck in a team situation where, even though he was performing, he could see the writing on the wall. This was Max's team. This, the car was going to be set up for Max. And at the end of the day, that was their golden child. And, that, and that's what has been the case. And even with Perez coming in, and what I hope Perez can kind of, you know, buck that trend a little bit by performing so well as he has this season and, and continuing that. But Ricardo knew that was going to happen. He goes to Renault, who looked good, you know, granted, you know, maybe they were on the, the, the up and coming, never was able to really do anything magnificent there. 2020, you have to give him credit. He did have a great year 2020 for the car that he had under him. Consistently top five finishes, a couple podiums that year. So solid year for them and, and Ricardo that year. 2021 was just a disaster up until Monza. And this year has been a disaster. I mean, essentially every race outside of a couple. I mean, he is struggling to stay with Lando, you know, even the times where he is finishing near Lando, he is, you know, he's always behind him. He's never finishing, you know, close to Lando, but a spot or two ahead. It's always Lando fifth, Ricardo sixth, or, you know, he just can never really find that pace in the car. And the most disappointing one for me, uh, you know, especially paying closer attention to him, Barcelona, where he starts ahead of Lando, three or four spots ahead, and Lando just ends up kind of cruising right by him. <laughs> I mean, it really wasn't a contest. And you find out Lando has tonsillitis. He's had tonsillitis the last two weeks, hasn't even been at 100%. Make, he made the social media post as a joke, him saying, you just wait till I'm back at 100%. I already got sixth place in the fastest lap. You're not even going to know what I'm going to be able to do at 100%. But, yeah, um... I don't know what happens with Ricardo. Obviously, there's a lot of drivers waiting in the wings. You have Oscar Piastri at, at, at Alpine. That's obviously, you know, their territory. They're likely going to try and wait for Alonso to scoot out of the situation uh, for him to get promoted. But a lot of drivers in F2 and F3 that are really on the come up, especially in the Red Bull driving Drivers Academy. Um, a lot of good guys like Liam Lawson, Yuri Vips down there. Uh, and... and Kind of the wild card, I'd say, Colton Herta, American guy, Zach Brown, obviously an American, you know, three races over here in the States now. I, You know, you wonder if Colton gets a shot at F1, uh, hasn't done a test, you know, maybe someone like Pato Award, who's done a test in at least Abu Dhabi, might get a call over, but uh, it would be really interesting. It'd be really interesting to see, and uh, he could definitely... As much as I mentioned Ricardo being a marketing tool, that could be a huge one for McLaren as well, having their American driver on the grid. So that'll all get hashed out later. And and again, none of it matters if Ricardo can figure this thing out. Um, it, it's, it's looking less and less likely now because it's been over a year and save for a couple races, it hasn't happened. But it's on him. If he figures it out, then we don't have to talk about anything. And he'll be up in the points and getting good results from McLaren. So going from a potential American driver in Formula One, let's look at the American team in Formula One. Haas, where have they gone? They have fallen off of a cliff. I mean, 
you look at the first race of the season where they looked like they were back. You know, that was, oh, man, Haas, they nailed the 2022 regulations. They're back. They got 10 points in that race, both drivers in the points. Or, sorry, Kevin in the points, not Mick in the points. Uh, Mick's still waiting for those first points of Formula One. But they were running in the points for a lot of the race. They looked competitive. They looked like they were back. And since then, in the last six races, only five points in those six races. And they've only scored points in two of those races. Two points in Jeddah, three at Imola, with Kevin Magnussen scoring both the times. And oh, What is going on with Haas? I mean, Saul on F1 TV, Scarbs, and Sam Collins talking about the porpoising and how they've been the only team to actually have more porpoising since the start of the season than anyone else. I mean, they have, their porpoising has gone up. They have, every other team has managed to decrease the porpoising, to fix the issues, and they've gone up. So I don't know what the problem is down there at Haas. I don't know what they need to do to solve it. And as we speak about Daniel Ricciardo struggling, look, I don't know if there's anyone that doesn't like Mick Schumacher. He seems to be one of the most likable guys in the sport, but he has got to start performing too. It's, it's starting to look like now that he was just beating up on a very, very bad teammate last year, Nikita Mazepin, and he's come close to points this year. He's had some good results, but the big crash, and thankfully he's okay because that was a really nasty crash, the car separating from itself in Monaco this past weekend. Thankfully he's okay, but another mistake in the race, another crash. He's costing this team a lot of money. He is crashing this car a lot, and he has been the past couple of years. Now with the cost cap, it's got to be putting Haas in quite the predicament here. You know, when you crash the car once every one or two races, it, it's not great. Uh, that goes without saying. I'm not saying anything revolutionary there, but he's got to figure things out too. I mean, I, I think the pressure's probably getting to him a little bit, seeing Kevin Magnuson come back right away and score points after a year out of the sport and kind of being right on top of things. Mick's got to, he's got to step it up. He's been there at times. He's been running in the points. Various things have knocked him out, you know, strategies, crashes, you know, whatever it may be. But that's another guy that, that's got to start performing. He's got to step things up in a major way if he wants to keep that seat because you don't know how much, I mean, how much is Haas looking for a pay driver at this point? You know, uh, I, I don't think they really are after Mazepin. We'll, we'll see. Um, I think they're in a better financial state in terms of being more competitive and being able to attract more sponsors. Obviously, the Mazepin money leaves them in a poorer financial state in, in the short term, but they're performing better. I think they can garner some more sponsors. And, you know, Mick obviously brings a couple of sponsors, but, man, um, I don't know if it's going to be worth it for them in the long term and again as I sit here and say all these drivers in these junior formula categories that are just ready to get a chance some of them destined it seems for other teams more than others um, you know guys like Teo Porcher maybe looking at that Alfa Romeo seat Vips Lawson Daruvula looking towards those Red Bull seats you know more like the AlphaTauri seats um, but yeah uh, I, I don't know how much longer we can take Mick Schumacher not performing as well as he should be. And, you know, he's in a worse car than Daniel Ricciardo, obviously. Haas, eighth in the constructors right now, McLaren up in fourth. So even though Haas, better than they were in the past couple of years, kind of, they're only two points out of seventh behind Alphatari, but they 
they're still not in the greatest car, he and Kevin. Um, but Kevin has been consistently outperforming him on Saturdays and Sundays. And it, it's getting to the point where how much longer can we take this? You know, it, Ricardo and, and Schumacher, two guys that are very likable. Everyone, most people at least, want them to succeed. And they just they just can't put it together. And it, it sucks to see because those are guys that you want to win. You know, they're they're great guys, at least on, you know, from what, for what everyone can see. You know, they're great guys. Everyone seems to love them in the paddock, and uh, man, yeah, it's just not coming together for them. So, hopefully, for their sakes, they can both get it going and save their own seats in Formula One. But yeah, let's uh, let's move on to the last point here that I wanted to talk about, and that's the future of Monaco on the calendar. And I, it is hard to imagine a Formula One season without Monaco on the calendar. Obviously, 2020 with the pandemic, that's a special circumstance, but it's hard to imagine it being gone. Yes, this Sunday is, it's not great. You know, the racing's not that amazing. Uh, We all know that. It's hard to pass. These cars are too wide because they have to be because of of safety concerns and and the the way that we're trying to make Formula One safer. It's going to be incredibly hard to pass on any Sunday, but the spectacle of it all, the Saturday qualifying is just unreal knowing that they're on the edge, so close to the wall. I mean, it's an iconic race on the marina with all the yachts. and I, It's just, I mean, I think as an American, as a NASCAR fan, you know, that it's like taking the Daytona 500 away. I mean, that's, that, you don't even have a NASCAR season. You know, what, what are you even racing for at that point? You have no Daytona 500. That's the one that they want to win. That's the granddaddy of them all. And taking off Monaco, you know, I know there's a lot of politics involved. There's a lot of money involved. Uh, the TV direction being one of the big issues. Obviously, nobody likes the TV direction. Insert the Lance Stroll meme here from 2021. But the TV direction, the conflicting sponsorships, you know, I was reading about with Tag Heuer being a local sponsor in Monaco, Rolex being a F1, an F1 sponsor overall, kind of competing there. There's a lot of things to be worked out, but you'd have to think they get something worked out here and... and and they, they figure it out. Um, nobody wants to see these big tracks off the calendar. Um, you know, you think Monaco, you think Silverstone, Monza, Spa. And, and Spa is having its own issues staying on the calendar, reading that it could be a rotational race, sharing its slot with another tr- track. And it's very complicated. And I'll even say, you know, look, I'm from Las Vegas. I live in Las Vegas. Nobody was more excited than me when the Las Vegas race was announced. I mean, Vegas, the Formula One coming to my city and racing on the Strip is like was like a dream come true for me. It was awesome. I, I am so excited to go. I cannot wait for that race. We're still 17, 18 months out from that race. I am pumped to go to that race. But when I start thinking, you know, okay, we're replacing Spa for Vegas? Man, like... There are so many other tracks that you'd think of before you even get to Spa. Spa should be one of the last tracks you get to. And, you know, I saw France was on its way out as well. And, you know, that's probably not going to be missed by too many people at the very least. But, man, it's it's a, an overall trend that we've seen with Formula One here ever since Liberty Media got involved. They've done a lot of great things. Hell, I wouldn't even probably be a fan of Formula One if it weren't for Liberty Media Drive to Survive, you know, I've gone from someone who had a vague awareness of it 
just as a motorsports fan in general to a diehard Formula One fan. I treat it like I do NFL Sundays now. You know, it's part of my Sunday routine. I get up and I get up at 5 and 6 a.m. to watch all these races on Sundays even when I'm tired because I just love it. Um, But the overall trend that we're going towards of these street tracks and these, you know, American tracks that are just kind of put up in parking lots like we saw in Miami. And I thought the Miami race was cool. Obviously, the track isn't the best. I thought the spectacle was pretty good. But, yeah, um, remains to be seen. You know, the the Vegas track doesn't look all that exciting for racing, at least. You know, maybe some overtaking opportunities, but we'll see when we get there. But we don't want want F1 to be a bunch of races in the U.S. and a bunch of races in the Middle East because the F1, you know, Formula One's taking a bunch of Middle Eastern oil money, and we don't want a bunch of street tracks. There are a lot of good, purpose-built racetracks around the world that can be raced on. I, one good thing, I saw Kyalami, South Africa, potentially be coming on the calendar pretty soon as they work on those uh, FIA Grade 1 upgrades. That would be a fun track. I mean, it's a world championship. You'd think you have to have a race at Africa at some point, and that would be awesome to get back there to Africa, but... Street tracks should be special events. They shouldn't be the norm. They should, you know, it's nobody wants 10 street tracks on the calendar. That's, it d- takes away the allure of them. You know, it, it's fun when you have all these tracks and you say, okay, yeah, we'll go to Monaco and, and Baku and maybe, you know, Singapore. You know, we'll have two or three a year that are kind of special and, you know, with a 20 plus race calendar. But, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully we can save Monaco, we can save Spa, we can save a lot of these tracks that everyone loves. There's no reason to take them away. Um, it, it would just it would be a real shame. And you know, say what you will about the racing, but Monaco's iconic. You, you can't you can't take it away. I mean, there's been gripes about racing at you know other tracks, and it's something like NASCAR. You know, you look at restrictor plate racing and all this stuff, and the the gripes sometimes about that, but you can't take it away. It's got to stay there, and it's it is Formula One. You think Formula One, you think Monaco, you think Ferrari. You, you know, it's like Ferrari leaving the sport. You know, there are certain things that you associate with Formula One that they just they have to be there. They, <laughs> they quite simply have to be there, and uh, I, I I really hope that it's there for many years to come. And I know one man that is really hoping that it stays there is Charles Leclerc, as he. Still looks to find that elusive Monaco victory, man. I hope he gets another shot at that because uh, the way Ferrari's looking, I, I think he's going to get another shot at it, and I really hope that one day we can see him on the top step of the, the podium there in Monaco. So with that, I, I think that'll wrap up here. We're coming on about 45 minutes here. Um, wrap up the race review of the Monaco Grand Prix this year. Next race, looking ahead to Baku, Azerbaijan. That one is setting up to be a pretty good race. You know, uh, the top two teams obviously going to be in the fight. See if Mercedes can sneak their way into that fight. That long straightaway, it's going to be really interesting to see how these cars can pass on that straightaway. Obviously, the slipstream, less of an effect this year uh, due to the ground effect type downforce. But, um, yeah, it's going to be real fun to see those cars go around there. It produced an incredible race last year, probably one of the best races that I've ever watched. Um, And it's had some pretty good races in the past too you think even 2018 with the Ricardo and Verstappen incident um and uh you know 2017 with 
the Vettel Hamilton incident. There's just been so many classic moments at Baku over the years that have been so fun to watch. And, you know, I, I hope it delivers again. So with that, uh, I'm Justin Russo. This has been Picking Up Rubber, episode one. Hopefully a lot more to come. There will be a lot more to come. Not, not hopefully. Uh, <laughs> A lot more good stuff to come. We'll be back next week for likely a Azerbaijan race preview. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening.